Our scripture reading today is from the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. If you want to turn to page 983 in the blue Bible in your pew book, please feel free to do so. Hear the words of the Lord, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened within all, with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Lord, we ask for your spirit who alone can take this word and impact our lives with it in all the ways that you choose. Oh Lord, may we have the goodness of this word displayed and spread out in our lives like a sweet aroma. We pray for your glory and honor. Amen. In the Christian life, I think you could say that some of us tend to be knowers and some of us tend to be doers, okay? And not always in some good ways. For instance, sometimes uh, we want to know stuff about the Bible and about theology, some of us, and the more we know, the better we feel about ourselves just for knowing, right? As long as we're increasing in knowing, it doesn't really matter to us if we're actually doing anything. We can even pride ourselves in what we know or the fact that we know something that somebody else doesn't. And we can confuse knowing with character, assuming that if we know more than we did yesterday, we're better people than we were yesterday, simply because we know. Or on the other hand, some... Doers think knowing and learning are largely a waste of time, right? They almost immediately turn off if you start talking about the Bible or theology or anything to do with thinking through the Christian life. You know, don't confuse me with the facts. If it's that hard, it must not be right. I like to keep the Christian life simple and practical. It doesn't matter if you know anything. It's what you're doing. And this passage shows that knowing and doing are equally critical in the Christian life. And in fact, that you cannot have one without the other. They stand or fall together, knowers and doers. Okay? 
They stand and fall together. If your doing is not informed by biblical knowing, it's not the right kind of doing. And if your knowing doesn't issue in doing, it's not the right kind of knowing. We must consider both of these as essential to our lives and equally pleasing to God. Okay. God loves for us to know. God loves for us to do both and, not either or. And to ignore or minimize either one is to refuse God's desire for our lives. Well, first let's talk about knowing. I'd like to consider three vital aspects of knowing. That is the gospel, the spirit, and practical living. Okay? The gospel, the spirit, and practical living. And then we're going to talk some about doing. Now, we, we won't completely isolate each of them, but more or less that's what we're going to do. Okay? Now, first, the gospel. When you talk about the gospel, you're talking about the content of what you know, right? Uh, what is it that we know? Uh, what, where do we get our knowledge, for instance, of the will of God? Where do we get wisdom and understanding? Now, in the Old Testament, wisdom and understanding, which are found in this, uh, our, our passage, uh, these are regular words grouped together in the Old Testament, and they're regularly associated with the law in the Old Testament, so that you get wisdom and understanding from the law. But in the New Testament, the center of wisdom is not found in the law, it's found in Christ. You can see this uh, here in Colossians in chapter 2, verse 3, when he speaks of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of them. There's nothing outside of him. Everything of what he's calling wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. Okay? And then when you look at the verses before our passage that we dealt with last week, it speaks of the gospel bearing fruit and growing in the world and in your lives. Well, it it holds the same place as wisdom and understanding does in our passage. So, gospel bearing fruit in those earlier verses, and now wisdom and understanding bearing fruit. So you see wisdom and understanding are understood in terms of Christ, in terms of the gospel. And the gospel, of course, is from beginning to end about Christ in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So for Paul, knowledge is found in the gospel itself and never apart from that gospel. Just an example is that in Christ we have the knowledge of God, as Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the gospel is the full revelation of God in Christ. As later we will see in verse 15, he's described the image of the invisible God. He's the full revelation of God. To know Christ in the gospel is to know God. And what God has done in Christ reveals who He is and it reveals His will for us. The gospel tells us how we can be rescued from sin. 
It tells us what Christ has done for us in His life and death and resurrection and what that means in every aspect of our lives. The gospel reveals to us that we have died with Christ and we've been raised to a new life. It tells us how Christ's life is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It tells us how God is at work to form us into the image of Christ. And the gospel reveals to us how we're to love one another as Christ has loved us and given himself for us. And so when we're talking about wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of God's will, we're talking about being immersed in this gospel, this rich, glorious revelation of Jesus Christ, being immersed in Christ himself. And everything else in the Bible, that is the Old Testament, okay, what we think of as before the gospel, is in some way or form about the gospel because it all is previewing or prefiguring, foreshadowing Christ and the gospel. So what, wherever you go, even as Jesus did with the disciples, dipping through the whole of the Old Testament to speak of himself, uh, it, it tells us of the gospel. And everything that we read in the Old Testament must be read in the light of what Christ has done in, uh, God has done in Christ. If, for instance, you're dealing with some uh, aspect of ethical living in Proverbs, say it's a, a concerning sloth, well, we have to ask then, how does the death and resurrection of Christ, what does that have to do? How does it affect how I live in terms of diligence and sloth? What does being dead in Christ and being raised in Christ, how does Christ's own life uh, inform me about that very important issue? And so Christ is always brought to bear in whatever we deal with in the gospel. So he is the treasure of knowledge. But you'll notice here he says, uh, spiritual, uh, we be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And spiritual doesn't mean here spiritual as opposed to physical. It refers to the Holy Spirit himself. This wisdom and understanding that can come only from the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit to attend all of our engagement with God's Word so that this Word will impact our lives as it should. And that's why we say this is a critical part of knowledge is not only the gospel, but the Holy Spirit taking the gospel and applying it to our lives. The Holy Spirit alone will impress the gospel upon our hearts so that we regularly, increasingly see its beauty, we treasure it, and we live it out eagerly in our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit will do for you and for me in regard to the gospel so that we won't shrug our shoulders at the gospel, but we'll be overwhelmed more and more with the gospel. The treasure will really be a treasure to us. Christ will magnify in our hearts. It's by the Holy Spirit that you and I will see the goodness of the commands of Scripture. It's by the Holy Spirit that we will see the goodness of His promises. It's by the Holy Spirit that we will believe 
that what God says to us in His Word. We need the Holy Spirit to bridge the distance between our hearts and the gospel, to connect our hearts and lives to the gospel, to make us joyful in our embrace of this gospel and zealous in living out the gospel. And right here, perhaps it's important to talk about, to, to remind us what Proverbs says, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. So that knowledge and wisdom cannot be separated from being amazed at God, to adore God, to entrust yourself to God, to be, uh, to be brought in awe of God. We see that's the Holy Spirit's work through the gospel to bring us in awe of God so that we can begin to be wise. We will not begin to be wise until we are brought in awe of God through the gospel. And isn't it interesting later in Colossians chapter 3 that Paul says we've put on the new self. This is verse 10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We would tend to think he's going to say we're going to be renewed in righteousness after the image of his creator. But renewed in knowledge after God's image. That has to do with our being conformed to the ways of God and our thinking being conformed to God's thinking. Our desires conform to God's desires so that knowledge is not just facts about God. It has to do with intimacy and being formed into the image of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. So we have the gospel and we have the spirit. Both are essential if we're to have wisdom, but another essential for wisdom is everyday practical living. And and notice how Paul uh, has it here. He prays that we be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that phrase, the construction there, uh, points to result. So that this wisdom results in a different walk. That's the kind of wisdom he's praying for. The only kind of wisdom there is, wisdom that results in a different life. You can't talk about bare knowledge that doesn't change your life, knowing facts. That's not biblical wisdom. It's wisdom so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So it means, first of all, to walk worthy of Christ, that I will manifest in my life that I'm a part of the new creation, that I will manifest something of being one who is forgiven and relieved and comforted and at peace with God. And it begins to show in my life. I will walk as one who knows I've, I've died to sin and I'm anew in Christ. And so my life is beginning to conform to His will. Some of what it means to walk worthy of Him. It doesn't mean that I can be worthy in myself. You know, that apart from Jesus, I somehow am worthy before God. But it's a way to say, my life begins to show that I do belong to Jesus. 
that I've helplessly trusted in Him to rescue me, that I'm humble myself before Him, and it begins to show itself in the way I humble myself to others, for instance. That is wisdom. It means, he says here, basically, that we will begin to do good across the boards. (laughs) Because he says... uh, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. That is amazing. And we've got to be careful here. Still, Paul's not talking about perfection, but he is talking about a vigorous life that is regularly pleasing God, that in some ways fully pleases God, and a life in which all parts of my life are manifesting God's goodness. I don't say this to discourage you, but to encourage you. This is what he prays for. This is what we should pray for one another. These are the kinds of things we should expect God to do in our midst. Because this prayer, in a sense, is put on our lips. You want to know what to pray for our church? Pray this prayer for us. Pray this prayer for yourself that we would have this kind of wisdom that manifests itself across the boards. Notice also that this knowledge leads to doing good, but doing good leads to knowledge. Very interesting. Because he says, so that you'll be filled with this wisdom and understanding to walk worthy, bearing fruit, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's not neatly packaged like you you get this knowledge and wisdom of God that results in doing good. No, and then he says, and in doing good, you continue to increase in the knowledge of God. That's really cool. And that's why I say it's not just the gospel. It's not just the spirit. It is in the actual practical living that you increase in the knowledge of God. It's in practical everyday living that you experience His grace and you experience His presence right in the midst of your relationships and responsibilities. You meet God in your daily life. It's in practical everyday living that you learn how to depend on Him. You learn how to be confident in His promises and believe those promises right in the midst of difficulty where you learn to live in His peace in the incredible busyness of your day. You don't grow in the knowledge of God simply sitting in a room studying the Bible all day. You grow in the knowledge of God as you sink your roots in His Word by the Holy Spirit and live out that Word in all the ways God calls you to live. That's why sometimes when uh, we elders are meeting together, perhaps discussing some of our struggles in certain areas, I joke and say, you know, I really don't have that problem. I went to seminary. It's a real big joke, believe me. And some people may have that view of seminary. You go there for three years and you have this unlimited possibility of becoming more like Christ because you're studying the Bible so much more than the average person. Let's say they're two Christian friends. 
Frank and Sam. We imagine that if Frank goes to seminary and the pastorate and Sam goes to work for IBM, that there would be no question as to who would be more like Christ. I mean, obviously, the guy that goes to seminary. Not that guy that goes to IBM, right? But let's say at seminary, Frank grows more distant from God as he studies about God. Believe me, it happens all the time. He makes terrible decisions about entertainment. He welcomes unfaithful thoughts about other women other than his wife. He becomes lazy and prideful and anxious and hard-hearted. Frank increases hugely in his bare knowledge of theology and Bible information and church history and how to construct a sermon and how to counsel someone and how to visit someone in the hospital and how to do church administration. But as to growth in character and spiritual wisdom and understanding, he not only doesn't make any progress, he drifts badly. In the meantime, through his own personal devotions and Participation in a faithful church, his effort to apply God's commands and promises in his everyday life, Sam is more and more living out the love of Christ in all his relationships and responsibilities. Sam, not Frank, has grown in the knowledge of God and in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you you understand what I'm saying? He's the one growing in wisdom. He's the one growing in understanding. Because he's living out that word and finding God in the midst of everyday life. That lays out for every one of you, just as it does for me. That opportunity is for each one of us. So that our growth in the knowledge of God, as Paul sets forth here, comes not only from our meditation in his gospel by the Holy Spirit but it comes in our seeking to live before Him in everyday life. Now, I've talked mainly about knowing. I want to conclude and concentrate some on doing. I want to talk a little bit about the scope of our doing and then the heart of our doing, okay? The scope of our doing and then the heart of our doing. It is so important for you, especially you who are, quote, non-clergy, right? as they call it. Um, But it's so important for each one of us to realize that good works can embrace every single part of your life. Okay? Some of you, for instance, might think that all you do in your work outside the home or all the work that you do within your home has really nothing to do with good works. That good works only has to do with the particular kind things that you're able to do for someone within the church or a friend or someone in need. And everything else is just stuff you have to do. you got all this stuff you have to do, and maybe you can get in 30 minutes or an hour of a good work this week, right? You might literally do hundreds of things, you ladies, for your children and husband in a given week. And yet you may think that this has nothing to do with good works And good works only start when you do some kind of cross-cultural work or work with the needy or serving someone in the church. Your daily work and responsibilities done for the sake of Christ are good works. 
This is a welcome, encouraging, happy thought, okay? That all of this isn't just stuff that fills your day. But as you faithfully do the things that God has given to you to, to do inside and outside the home, these are good things before God, good works before God. As you do them for the glory of Christ, as you do them for the sake of Christ, as you do them seeking to know the presence of God in the midst of life. <clears throat> Some engage in this constant flow of good works, I think, for their family and people around them. And so it doesn't start at Union Gospel, for instance. And I'm not downplaying, of course, the work that we might do at Union Gospel or Pregnancy Lifeline or Cornerstone or World Relief. Each one of us needs to ask how our families can better engage in these kinds of mercies, for sure, okay? It's still, though, that doesn't mean that the great majority of what you do every day has nothing to do with good works. You need to enjoy that sense of obeying God in these things. You need to have that sense of doing good and living in the presence of God in these many, sometimes stressful responsibilities that you have every day. And we must in, in, uh, open these things up to the presence of God and the smile of God and the favor of God. But somehow we have this terminology dysfunction where we can't just call those things, these are doing good. You know. Enjoy God's smile upon you as you seek to do these for the glory of Christ. So I would say it's important to understand the scope of good works, not things just, uh, you know, hovering in a few little slits, slivers of time during the week. But good works can be named, and everything you do can be a part of the good works that you do before God. And then finally, to talk about the heart of good works, and that is love. Good works are basically love in action, right? First John 3, uh, John says, not to love in word but to love in action, or to, and he says to love in truth. In other words, if you're just talking about it, you're not loving, okay? You must do more than just talk about it. You've got to go do something for that person. So John is basically saying, really love people by doing for them. So loving and love and good deeds are more or less synonymous in Scripture. And that helps us to understand uh, some of the things Paul says here. That is why he prays, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I want to connect that in the closest way to good works, this statement of endurance and patience. It's interesting, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter in the Bible, there when Paul begins to give the attributes of love, the first thing he says about love is this, love is patient. And the last thing he says in that little paragraph is, love endures all things. The roots of those words are the same as these two words, patience and endurance. And the, the point is that love 
by its very nature, continues to give itself away. Love in the face of difficulty, in the face of stress or tragedy or suffering, it patiently endures and continues to joyfully spend itself for others. Peter talks about the same thing when he says, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So in the midst of suffering, continue to put yourself in God's hands so that you can continue to give yourself away to others. That's 1 Peter 4.19. It's the same idea. And so when he prays for endurance and patience, he's talking about endurance and patience to continue to do good, to continue to bear fruit in your life. And he realizes how difficult it will be, how hard it will be to continue to do good in the face of all the miseries and tragedies of this life. That's why he says here, may you be strengthened with all power. Now, if, if it read like it does in the original, it would be strengthened with all strength because they're from the same root or empowered with all power. It's a way to say, may you have power upon power to do this. And on top of that, he says, according to his glorious might, which means according to his unlimited capacity. May you have power upon power in keeping with God's unlimited capacity to endure and be patient in doing good and loving others. That's the weight of Paul's prayer here. He realizes that God's going to have to move heaven and earth. God's going to have to employ his great power by which he raised Christ from the dead, by which he created the world to enable us to love in this way throughout our lives. And isn't it interesting that he can say endurance and patience with joy. With joy. Here is this critical part of our love. Joyfully loving others no matter what your circumstances are. The wonderful effect of the gospel is that we can joyfully love others. This is even what marked Christ It says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had a joy in his love, an energy of happiness in his love. We gain this by immersing ourselves in the goodness of God, in the gospel, and that joy that we have in him can enable us and energize us to love others. And notice how it flows into gratitude giving thanks to the Father. This is the language from the Exodus who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Speaking of the, it's it's the idea of the inheritance of Canaan and yet he describes ours as this inheritance in the saints in light. Contrasting with the domain of darkness that we belong to in verse 13. So we were under the grim and deadly rule of Satan in darkness, but now we are under the rule of Christ Jesus who redeemed us with his own blood, winning for us the forgiveness of sins. We are in his light instead of in guilt and destruction. We are in light and acceptance through Jesus Christ. And we await the full inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth. This is the 
the joy and hope and gratitude that fill our lives so that we can have endurance and patience in love. That's the way the gospel works. Immersing ourselves in this gospel, gaining true spiritual wisdom as the Holy Spirit takes this gospel and inflames our heart with the beauties of it and enjoy and hope in forgiveness and gratitude, we are sustained to gladly spend our lives for others. There is the gospel. That is what wisdom is in Scripture. So different than what we think it is. The how-tos. Wisdom is this glorious knowledge of God that fuels us in happy love all around us. Let us pray. Lord, this, this is good news for us. This is good news that we have been taken out of the domain in which we live for ourselves and we've been brought into a new kingdom. A new kingdom that was founded on the precious blood of Jesus in which we can know forgiveness of sins in which we can know a new life being redeemed from sin's hold on us and now being set free to learn to love in new and increasing ways every day and to do this with patience, to do this with endurance. Oh, Lord, we pray, thanking you that we as well can ask for these things, that you will surely give them because we are asking for that which is in accordance to your will. It is your very purpose to do these things in our lives. We would open up our hearts to you, O mighty Spirit. Give us a diligence in your word, a diligence to know this gospel, and give us a humility to depend upon you, the Holy Spirit, to bring about its continuing impact in our lives so that we will bear fruit in every good work to the glory of Jesus. Amen.